0: Welcome to the Coffee House Questions Podcast. This is Ryan Polly. You know, one thing I've been thinking about lately is the need for Christians to think well. And asking the question, do we think that Christians are critical thinkers? And that we can think well. And so to join me to discuss the topic of critical thinking and logic is the senior research scholar, one of the senior research scholars at Reasons to Believe, uh, Professor Kenneth Samples, and also adjunct professor at Biola University. So, uh, Ken, thank you so much for coming on and talking about
1: logic with me. It's a pleasure to have you, Ryan. You were a great logic student, and uh, it's really nice to interact with you on your your podcast.
0: Well, thank you very much for that. Yes, I uh, just had uh, Professor Samples, not too long ago in the logic class, and definitely enjoyed it. And so, as soon as that class ended, I I went up and I said, "Hey, will you do a podcast with me?" I think this is something that the church needs to hear, and Christians need to learn how to think critically. And and so, thank you for agreeing to this.
1: You bet. Happy to do it.
0: Awesome. And so, how long have you been teaching logic and critical thinking at the uh, college level?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I I think I actually go back to. The early part of 1990. So it's been uh, 27 years that I've been teaching courses in logic, critical thinking, world religions, uh, introduction to philosophy. So uh, all the way back then. So it's about 27 years now.
0: Okay. And have you seen a kind of a change within uh, kind of the view of logic and culture? I, you know, in my last few weeks of podcasts, we've been talking about kind of the secularization of the United States and postmodernism taking over. Have you seen it become more needed or useful or any changes in that time that you've been teaching it?
1: Yes, I would say, Ryan, that when I first started giving talks, both as a professor and and even before that, when I would do, you know, an apologetic talk on the college campus, I would say, you know, moving that back to about 1987, when I then worked at the Christian Research Institute with Walter Martin, I would say that students ask more questions about truth, that, that is, you know, is Christianity true, did the resurrection really happen, etc. What's interesting today when I give talks, particularly evangelistic or apologetic talks, uh, outside of the classroom, a lot of students ask me questions like, is Christianity a good thing? Has it been good for women? Has it been good for minorities? So in some ways, I think that kind of the, the issues of, of uh, uh, postmodernism, the issues of race, gender, and class have become more relevant questions. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I think overall, one of the things that students have always to- told me over the years is They feel that logic is a unique or special class because it it enables them to, you know, to to pick up a topic and to think it through. Mm. And so I've always gotten more compliments about the logic classes, basically from the standpoint that students have always felt like, hey, I actually have a skill that's very useful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that was one thing that I really took away is just... Just the uh, practicality, I guess, of just learning how to think well, and and that doesn't just apply to apologetics or Christianity, but really to every area of our lives. And definitely a useful skill to have. Um, awesome. Well, well, thank you so much again. And and before we really jump in, uh, I just want to remind the listeners if you have any comments or questions about our discussion today. Uh, you can send those in uh, through email at contact@coffeehousequestions.com at the facebook page at facebook uh, facebook.com/coffeehousequestions on twitter at ryanpolly 3 or by text message at 714-989-6927 And so uh, as we jump in, um, I first want to mention that you just had a new book uh, released at the end of January called God Among Sages, Why Jesus is Not Just Another Religious Leader. Could you tell us a little bit about that book that you just had come out?
1: Yeah, thank you very much for mentioning it. It's it's my latest book. It is a, a book that I've wanted to write for many years and Ryan, it compares Jesus with four of the major world's religious leaders. So the book is divided into three sections. The first, first section discusses who Jesus is, what were his own thinking about himself, um, what about Christian orthodoxy, what do we say about Christ, and I deal with questions like um, can we trust the New Testament to give us a, an accurate portrait of Jesus. The middle section is really kind of the, the nuts and bolts of the book. I compare Jesus with, uh, with uh, Krishna, with the Buddha, with Confucius and Muhammad. I look at eight particular areas, a uh, criteria of looking at them. Were they people of history? What kind of character did they have? What kind of claims did they make? Their view of, of uh, the future, etc.? And so that's a major portion. And then the latter part of the book looks at questions like religious pluralism, questions of tolerance, and how should Christians view the other religions of the world. So I'm, I'm excited that the book is out. It's, again, a book I wanted to write for many years. And uh, I think it's a, it's a very helpful, uh, apologetic, uh, theological uh, you know, treatment of Jesus and the world's religious leaders.
0: Very interesting. And so it kind of comes against maybe that that view that we sometimes see in culture with our uh, religious pluralism that, you know, all religions are just this pathway to God. Uh, But would you say that after doing this study that they really do portray or or, or present a different God or a different path?
1: Um, You know, a a very important part of my book is illustrating that uh, uh, the idea that all religions can be true. It uh, it faces insurmountable problems, uh, intractable problems. Uh, And I can illustrate it briefly, and and I'll focus on the logic of it. You know, the world's religions, they teach fundamentally different things. One God, uh, more than one God. Hinduism alone teaches that there's one God, that there's 330 million gods. The universe is God. So one of the reasons the world's religions can't be true is they teach fundamentally different things about the nature of God, the nature of the world, the human condition. There's really no way to kind of reduce them. This is the second point to a lowest common denominator, because even the, even the common ethical principles are really grounded in different views about the nature of reality. I mean, we believe in the sanctity of life, but we believe in the sanctity of life as Christians because of the image of God. So our theology drives our ethics. And then thirdly, and it's appropriate for your topic and my topic today, the world's religions can't all be true because they contradict each other. I mean, fundamental teaching of Christianity is that Jesus is God incarnate. Islam says Jesus Christ is not God incarnate. Both of those statements can't be true, according to the law of non-contradiction. And the law of excluded middle says, and it's either or. So, you know, the position of religious pluralism is untenable. Therefore, we have to sort out and make a case for, uh, you know, a particular religion. And, and in this book, I make a case for Christ and for Christianity. Awesome.
0: Well, hopefully uh, I'll be getting a copy of that book shortly and uh, we'll be doing an interview uh, on that in the future. So we'll definitely get more into kind of what are some of those views and how do we have conversations with people who hold to different worldviews and different religions uh, on a few fut- in a future date? So, um, but when we come back to this topic of logic, uh, I have a quote here written down from when I took your class uh, that uh, it says many non-believers think that Christians are emotional feelers, not critical thinkers. Uh, can you explain that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I uh, you know I I spend a lot of time. Uh, trying to discover what non-Christians think about our faith, you know, Mm I've been at the apologetic enterprise for, you know, more than 30 years. I think that there is a lot of people out there, skeptical people, uh, who think that that Christians are feelers, you know, and and that's not always a bad thing. I mean, I like a church that has warm people in it. I don't like cold, unfriendly people by any stretch of the imagination. But I think, Ryan, the perception is on the part of many people, especially skeptical people, is that we're good at feelings, we're good at our kind of emotional side of life, but we're not deliberate. We're not careful Mm. in terms of our thinking. And, you know, I, uh, I think there's some... Validity to that, and I, of course, try to argue that you can have a warm heart and a, a, a very skillful mind at the same time. Yeah,
0: yeah, and, and there's more that goes into the Christian life than just you know the heart and soul, but the mind is included, um, and it's about loving God and and, and with our entire whole person uh, rather than just a few facets.
1: And that's that's a great way of putting it, Ryan, because. I think what we want to tell other Christians is uh, make the use of your mind part of your loving of God with your entire being, your heart, your mind, soul, and strength. I think what Jesus meant there is loving with everything you are, and that certainly includes the gift of the mind. Yeah. So
0: maybe let's start out with a, a basic definition. Um, what
1: is logic? Yeah, great. Great question. Well, logic is, it comes from the Greek word logos, and in fact, that's a biblical word. Uh, In John chapter 1, John the Apostle says, in the beginning was the word, and that word word in Greek, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, is logos. And so, uh, logos means thought, reason, rationality. Logic is concerned with what we logicians call well, the fundamental subject of thinking and reasoning, to, to think carefully, to think cogently, uh, to think consistently. And so logic is about, uh, uh, you know, being consistent with the laws of logic and with the principles of reasoning.
0: Okay, and, and being consistent and, and and cogent in the way that we think and make sure that we're not contradicting ourselves. That's um,
1: Laws of logic are there to guide us. We want to avoid inconsistencies. We want to avoid contradictions. We want to avoid fallacies. We want to think consistently with the laws of logic and the principles of reason.
0: Okay. And
1: uh,
0: would you say that this is something, you know, is it important for Christians? (laughs) I think that's a pretty straightforward question.
1: Boy, I'll tell you, there aren't too many... Questions that I'm more passionate about than this very topic, uh, Ryan. I I really think now. Now here, it's not just me. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna quote people like Mortimer Adler, the great uh, the great logician, philosopher, educator. Uh, J.P. Moreland, the great Christian thinker from Biola University. Um, lots of people have you know brought out the idea that maybe the weak link in the evangelical Protestant world today, is a lack of the the love of the mind. That is, uh, you know, the life of the mind, using your mind, being skilled in your thinking. You know, and if if logic is a term that doesn't kind of uh, strike the Christian as something they're used to, well, then think about discernment. Hmm. You know, Scripture says, test all things. Uh, The the Book of Acts says, you know, uh, that uh, the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians. Why? Because they checked sources. So being careful, being thoughtful, prizing truth, handling it uh, with great care. I think these are all intellectual virtues. I mean, there are moral virtues that Christians are are used to. Telling the truth, uh, not, you know, working hard, not stealing not violating the the sexual mores of the New Testament. Well, there are also intellectual virtues, Uh, you know, pursuing truth, being careful, Uh, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, using our mind vigorously. These are intellectual virtues that are very important for Christians. And uh, like I said, a lot of Christian scholars think this may be a weak link an area we really need to tighten up.
0: And so what about the person who might respond to that and say, well, we don't need logic, we don't need critical th- you know, just have faith. You know, if we if we think about things too much, we're putting God to the test, and, we, you know, we shouldn't be testing God.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a very common, you know, it's a very common approach. I, I would say a couple things to it. There we're dealing with this topic of faith and reason. What is the relationship of, of faith to the topic of reason. And I I would say a couple things. I would say, number one, that the Bible mandates intellectual virtues, uh, testing, discerning, uh, intellectual revival, etc. Secondly, um, what's interesting, uh, Ryan, is that in the history of logic, a lot of the great logicians were Christians who made great contributions to the field. So we have a history of philosophy and logic of Christians being at the forefront of uh, making unique contributions uh, to the areas of of logic. Uh, Jesus is called the Logos. Uh, He's the logic of God. He's the mind of God. He's the word of God. And, uh, you know, I think we can also say that uh, uh, there's no way to present the gospel. There's no way really to explain the truth of Christianity. Or to convey why we believe that Jesus is the Son of God without a careful use of of reason and rationality. So, uh, yeah, it's true that sometimes you know um, people who are intellectual can be prideful or snobbery. You know, they can be snobbish. But you know, sometimes I've met people who are snobbish about not being intellectual. You know, I'm just mm. spiritual. I don't I don't go for any of that reason stuff. I think it's possible for anybody to, uh, to, to misuse the use of our mind, but it's, it's very critical. Um, and why, be a, why be a Christian? Why not be a Mormon? Why not be a, a Muslim, for that matter? So the, the, mind, is, the mind is very important uh, for the Christian. Absolutely. Uh, And I think you made a great point right there is that, you know,
0: it's possible to misuse these. Um, Do you see that when you start to learn the laws of logic and logical fallacies and all this kind of stuff that we're going to talk about, that you can, that they can easily be misused, that they can be used to make people look dumb or silly or or whatever?
1: I, I really do. In fact, I, you know, I make a case, as you know, in my, in my introduction to logic course, you know, I, I tell people that when I was a young college student and I started learning logic and I started to understand the fallacies and I could put my finger right on the mistakes that people made in reasoning, I became a smart aleck. And, uh, you know, I didn't didn't handle the skill of logic and critical thinking in in a humble, in a gracious way. You know, I I just kind of wanted to win arguments. And, you know, from a biblical point of view, um, it's not it's not about being a snob. It's not about uh, making people look bad. Frankly, it's not even about uh, about winning. it's about truth hmm. And in our skill of logic, we want to humbly help people to see the, the truth that God has revealed. So I think it's very important uh, that as we grow in our skill in logic that we grow in our virtues of humility. Uh, and and wanting to to use our gifts to the glory of God and to the benefit of our brothers and sisters.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. The, just this last week, I, w- I was speaking at a youth group, and uh, I made that point of the week before, kind of pointing out logical inconsistencies with some religions, and and wanting to make sure they didn't understand that we're we're pointing these things out as a gotcha moment or to make people look dumb, but really as as a wanting to discover truth and, and help discover truth together, both us and that person of the other religion. And if there is a logical inconsistency within their view or our view, we want to be able to think through this well and, and come to a conclusion of does this create a problem or not?
1: Yeah. Very good.
0: Um, so why do you find that Christians commit logical fallacies?
1: I do. I, I think like all people, you know, uh, one of the things I say a lot, and you, you've heard me say it in class, uh, logic doesn't make you think. The good Lord has given, you know, he's given us a good a good brain, a good mind. We we are able to reason, we're able to think because we're made in the image of God. What logic can do is order your thinking. What logic can do is make you careful. You know, check the sources. Uh Make sure your support really does back up your conclusion. Um, and I, you know, the the problem with fallacies is that we've made a mistake in reasoning. We have, uh, you, can, you can do it in a in a variety of ways, but Christians, like all people, uh, can commit fallacies. And uh, you know, there are times where even my own thinking, I thought, boy, I I need to tighten down on that point. You know, I'm not sure that. At that, that point is is you know very careful, but I'll I'll use an example um, uh, today on the web. I saw somebody make a comment. Uh, there was an image of of a cross of Jesus. It was an empty cross, um, and so a person said, "Oh, that is uh, you know that's the ancient symbol of a, a Babylonian god." And I immediately thought the genetic fallacy. You know, a genetic fallacy is when You evaluate something totally in terms of its origin. So, you know, the genetic fallacy can be seen in science. Many of the first uh, astronomers were also astrologers. So you say, well, I don't want to believe in astronomy because it begins in astrology. Well, that's where it begins, but it's evolved, it's changed. The cross of Jesus could be similar to a pagan symbol, but that doesn't mean it's the same meaning. And so, yeah, I think we can all make mistakes, and all of us need to be more careful. All of us need a system that can help us order our thinking, checks and balances. Um, and so, yeah, there are times where I think uh, Christians commit logical fallacies, and we need what you said. We need some instruction. We need somebody to come along and you know, not make us look silly, not make us look stupid, but to say, hey... Uh, I wonder if you might consider rethinking that argument, and, and here's why. Here's yeah. I think you can improve it. Yeah. So, uh, kind of a, a
0: different question, maybe uh, just because from based on what you just said, uh, with the thing that you saw online with the cross uh, and being genetic fallacy, would the same sort of thing apply to like Christmas trees? Because I a lot, oftentimes I have you know Christians ask me. Well, the, the Christmas tree has pagan origins, or, or Easter has pagan origins, therefore, you know, it's wrong for Christians to celebrate. Have you heard those kind of objections before, and would that be similar to what you were just talking about?
1: I sure have, and I think if you're going to reason that way, you know, I mean, you know, some people may feel, they may think, look, I uh, I want to celebrate Christmas, but maybe it's too commercial or you know, maybe I don't want to have all of you know the tree and the lights and everything. You know, that, that's that's clearly a matter of a person's uh, conscience, uh, you know, before God. But when you start saying, well, uh, I don't want to have you know Christmas trees or you know Easter is pagan in orientation, well, you know, let's let's think about that. I mean, in this in this issue of the cross, let's say that. Uh, let's say a god in in Babylon did have an image of a cross. Is that the first appearance that ever ever of a cross? I mean, yes. aren't the ways in which Christians think about a cross very differently? So yeah, I think that uh, I think Christians have, have can have their convictions about how to celebrate Christmas or Easter, but I think a good bit of the thinking about it could possibly commit the genetic fallacy where we evaluate everything in terms of its origin, forgetting that things have changed or developed a different orientation.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, so as we jump kind of back over to logic a little bit uh, away from the the symbols of Christianity, what what exactly are the laws of logic? Uh, I have here that they are... Uh, both kind of inescapable and they, they flow from the mind of God. Can you explain that a little bit?
1: Yeah, there, there appear, I mean, as as we think about uh, the intellectual history of the world, uh, you know, thinkers in Western civilization by and large have said that there appear to be certain principles of reasoning that uh, we need to assume and we need to follow and submit to, and if we don't, we, we end up in incoherence. We aren't able to, to make, uh, you know, logical sense of the world. And so for many people, they have viewed the laws of logic kind of like numbers or maybe even like moral principles, that there are certain principles built into the intellectual part of the world. And that these invisible, unchangeable principles uh, really kind of uh, guide and direct, you know, the way that we reason. Uh, And we talk about, in logic, we talk about the law of non-contradiction. We talk about the law of excluded middle and the law of identity. Let let me take the the one that I think there that is the most important. It's the law of non-contradiction. And it, it can be stated a couple different ways. Uh, Aristotle said, nothing can both be and not be at the same time and in the exact same way. Nothing can be and not be at the same time and in the same way. Uh, You could state it, you know, that kind of states it metaphysically or in terms of being. Uh, So I I can't be a human being, you know, and, and be a cloud at the same time and in the same way. Or I can put it more in terms of truth or what we call epistemology, knowledge. A statement cannot be both true and false at the same time in the same respect. And let me go back to that one I alluded to earlier. Christians and Muslims, I think, have a contradiction when it comes to Jesus. The Christian says Jesus is God incarnate. He's a single person who has both the divine and human nature. He is God in human flesh. The early Christians called Jesus... The The Anthropos, Theos, God, Anthropos, Man. But Islam is adamant that Jesus is not God incarnate. He he may have lived a sinless life. He may have performed miracles, but he is not God incarnate. Well, the law of non-contradiction says Jesus can't be God incarnate and not be God incarnate. And the law of excluded middle says because there's no middle ground, because there's no third alternative... It's either or. So, in our world of tolerance, in our in our postmodern world of you know ridiculing things like uh, uh, you know being narrow minded, it's not being narrow minded to say that somebody's wrong when it comes to the Islamic and Christian view of Jesus because they contradict each other. Mm. What if
0: someone says, "Well, you know, you yes, they contradict, but who are you to say that you have this this grasp of truth better than they do?"
1: Well, I, I think that's I think that's uh, that's not a, a bad point to make. I mean, I I think all of us have to be uh, very careful. All of us have to make sure we've been diligent about thinking through a position. But see here, the position, the law of non-contradiction and the law of excluded middle. They don't tell you what position is correct, they tell you that both of them cannot be true at the same time, and that logically it's either or. or. So in, in this context, the Christian's going to have to do an apologetic for why Jesus is God incarnate, and the Muslim will have to do an anti-apologetic of why Jesus is not God incarnate. But there's no way of getting around it, and it's not intolerant, it's not narrow-minded, it's not bigoted to say, either the Christian or the Muslim is wrong about who they think Jesus is in terms of his nature.
0: Okay. Awesome. Well, we are running out of time. Man, it just flew by this 30 minutes. Uh, So we will have to pick up again next week. Uh, But these are definitely some things for us to think about as Christians and as we train students. Uh, Really quick, but actually before we finish up this first part, um, what would your recommended What would your recommendation be for how young we could start training students in thinking critically?
1: Oh, that's such a good question, Ryan. I um, I homeschooled my oldest daughter Sarah, and uh, you know I I started her very early. We would you know we would just look at ideas and you know throw out an idea. I really think that you can begin uh, to develop these ideas. You know, when they're in elementary school, you can you can begin to illustrate basic principles of you know, an argument is not a you know, it's it's not a spat, it's not a fight. You're reasoning, you're thinking. And an argument means you make a claim and then you seek to support the claim. I think you can build these basic ideas and and as the child gets older you, you develop more, you add things to it. I I remember when my daughter went to college and took a, a logic class. I remember her comment to me was that my my fellow students they seemingly had never been exposed to logic, so they were kind of adrift. And she said, "Boy, I felt comfortable because I I had begun thinking about these issues when I was just you know a young girl. So, uh, you know, you don't have to be you don't have to be." Uh, the great Aristotle to teach logic. You know, you don't have to be the master logician or philosopher uh, or theologian to teach logic. You can begin with some good materials, break them down, start working, you know, and building. And uh, I did it with all three of my kids, and you know, I I'm grateful to God and to their mother that, you know, that they're they're thoughtful young. People and uh, they're very devoted to our Lord.
0: Well, there we go. Thank you so much. There's part one of our discussion on logic. Uh, Ken, thank you for joining me uh, for this part, first part.
1: Pleasure. Uh, great to be with you.
0: Alrighty, and for all of you listening, I hope you enjoyed it. Remember to send in your questions or comments if you have any, and don't uh, make sure you do not miss next week. We'll be going into logical principles as well as common logical fallacies that we need to think through when we're having those important discussions. So thank you so much for listening to Coffeehouse Questions. Have a wonderful rest of your week. This is Brian Polly. God bless.